happening, guys? Happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, I was out at Bare Knuckle in Denver this weekend, and coming up on today's show, I'm going to tell you about my experience as well as Conor McGregor's appearance. Plus, it's UFC 288 Fight Week, and I want to talk about some interesting betting lines for Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. I'm going to get to that story and a whole lot more on today's show, but let's begin here. Chachery, one championship, Francis Ngannou, contract, free agency. I feel as though I might have had, I might have had the scoop on this. Chachery came on and spoke to me. He said, we want Francis. We've been in talks with Francis and we're going to submit our best and final. And those are very important terms that you know in business. When somebody says best and final, that's it. Even if they regret it and think they'll offer more, they won't come back. It's it's important that you know those words. Those words are very relevant. The conversation is going to end here. Even if I regret, even if I think I can do more. Just on whatever integrity to the nature, to the reputation that was going to follow me, when I say best and final, it's going to be my best and final. And Chachari told us that that was the stage that he was at. I thought it was great. I thought that was very interesting. And Chantry seemed optimistic. And there must be something about speaking to Francis where he does make you feel that way. I mean, it must be. Dana White can read people better than anybody I've ever seen. That includes PhDs in psychology that I know. Dana White can read people. Dana White said, hey, we're going to get this worked out. He, he really meant it. Scott Coker had meetings with Francis. And Scott Coker said, yeah, I think we're going to get the deal soon. I think that we're going to have him fight in the, in the Bellator brand with MMA, and we're going to get him set up over in the Showtime brand with boxing, and I think that we're going to have this done in the next couple of weeks. I mean, at some point along this process, that was said. Dan Hardy, who's involved particularly with uh, UK and possibly all of Europe, European decision-making for the PFL, Dan Hardy was very optimistic. Hey, we're going to get him. We're going to get him as a matter of fact, it's coming. We're going to make this announcement, it's coming. Stand by. And Chachri gave a little bit of that as well. And so, I mean, there just must be something with Francis. He, he must be a really personable guy. And everybody had a, a real good sense. And it came out today, Chachri said, uh, not that Francis turned down. Not that he turned down the best and final. Chachri said, I've, I've decided to not present my best and final, I am out. And if any of you are new or you've watched some movies or something and you think perhaps that's a negotiating tactic, no, it is not. When, when, when a leader comes out and makes that statement, knowing that reputation is going to follow him, he means it. And Chachri gave us a massive clue. And the clue was simply, I sat down I had a meeting with Francis for three hours. I really liked him. We weren't apart on the money. I think he said financially. But we were conceptually as far as ideas. There's parts where I didn't feel in Chachari's word that we were aligned. It's nothing personal, but for that reason, not for the financial reason, for the alignment reason, I am not going to move forward with this negotiation. Now, Dave Feldman spoke up, and he was not as wordy, and he was not as polite. Dave Feldman said, 
He wants too much money. It's unrealistic and his value is dropping by the day. Next question. Okay. All right. But there is some themes there. I mean, there is some stuff you would take away. It does appear to me that people like him. It appears to me, even when Francis has come to us in this process, right? He's been polite. He's been calm. He's been personable. It seems he's been honest. Now that's his business and he doesn't owe it to us. But when we do hear his version and then we hear somebody else's, they're the same version. I think people really like Francis. Eventually you get to a point where the guy just has to ask himself, do I want to fight? And it's a very simple question. It's a very binary question. And the right guy will always show up. Make no mistake. There has never been an Olympic Games in history where a good athlete's at home, he's watching on the couch, he slaps his buddy next to him and says, well, I could have won the Olympics this year. I decided to sit this one out. That's just never happened. The right guy will always show up. Two and three, not every time. Most of the time, not every time. The number one guy will always show up. Nobody's ever sat home and watched a Super Bowl and there was an MVP crown and he thought that coulda, shoulda, woulda been him. It just doesn't happen. The right guy always shows up. I was trying to break into the business and I did a bunch of fights, man. I had, I think I was 11 and 2. Three different weight classes. Short, no one is tough. I mean, I'm doing all the stuff that I, you think, right? I mean, imagine me. I'm dashing. I'm charming. I'm just stunningly handsome with a wonderful smile. And I can't get a contract. My mother hatched a plan to bribe Joe Silva. The number was $50,000. To give me a contract. Now, the contracts back then, so you understand, were two and two. You got 2,000 to show, you got 2,000 to win. My mother was going to give Joe Silva on the side 50 grand to get me in. I only tell that story because my family would have paid it. We would have paid the 50 grand, and we would have gotten the two and the two if we could have gotten a victory, and we would have come out 46 short. Do you want to fight or not? I wanted to fight, but I, I will share with you, if roles were reversed right now and Joe Silva calls me up says, chill, I'll give you 50 grand, come get in the ring, I want to do it. So, I, I mean, things change over time. It's tough to imagine. It really is. I spent my whole life in a gym trying to look like Francis, right? He looks the way that I want to. I tried my whole life to try to be world champion. He gave a world title back. I can't imagine. I can't relate to that. I did not have that level of success. But does it change your mind? Does it change your hunger? Because I would think that it would. I would think if I climbed Mount Everest, I would feel really good about myself. But I'm not sure that I would have the need to go climb it again. That I would have the urge. That I would have the grit. You know, I'm, just, I'm just not sure. So I got to sit back and I got to guess. Now you have some other very realistic factors. I don't know enough about Francis, but I don't believe that he's married. I don't know enough about Francis, but I don't believe he has any kids. Francis appears to really be a family guy. Like I've seen videos. I've seen pictures of holidays with, with the whole family. I believe his grandma is still with us, but you know, his mother was there and his aunts were there and his cousins were there and his uncles were there. I mean, it was a big deal. I, I don't remember seeing kids and a wife. And I, I only share that with you because sometimes... 
you know, Francis made some good money. If he plans to just be a bachelor his whole life, it's one, it's one of those things. Does he need to fight again? Does he feel like he needs to fight again? And I can't answer some of those questions. But I do get confused when I hear Chachari say what I've heard a close version to Dana saying, which is not about the money. The money were good. The fighting, the unified rules, and the weight class were good. All of that's good. It's other stuff. We're not aligned. It's other stuff. I don't know what that means. I, I don't know what it means. And it would seem to me that there would be a misunderstanding in the wanted ad that I posted if I was the employer. When I posted the opening, I thought I was very specific. I need a heavyweight to compete in mixed martial arts. So when you took this meeting with me, being a heavyweight, I thought you wanted to compete in mixed martial arts, but we're talking about other things now. Whatever those other things are, I'm not looking for that. If I was, I would have said that. I'm looking for an athlete, some recognition in his name, some skills within himself that wants to compete, but nothing else. Very straightforward. And I'm trying to figure out what that number is. That athlete can be you. So I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what they're discussing. But I do know your goals do change over time. I do know your attitude changes and your ideas change. There was a time. I'd have given Joe Silva 50 dimes just for the opportunity. But right now, roles were reversed and he was offered it to me. I wouldn't take it. So I do understand it. You either want to fight or you don't. Fighting Championship. Guys, I went out to Denver over the weekend for this. My first one seen live. And I remember the first time I saw it just in general. Wes Combs was going to fight. I turned it on. He's the first fight of the night, right? It's 7 o'clock pay-per-view. It's up on my television. Referee brings them face-to-face. This is a couple years ago. Referee brings them face-to-face. And then he says, toe the line. And I've heard that before, toe the line. That was like an expression. I don't know what toe the line means. I, I know I know it means get to closer. I know it means put your foot on the line. Like I know a little bit of it. I, I I believe it came from the Navy. I believe it's a sailing term. I don't even know what it means is the point that I'm trying to get at. But as a wrestler, I put my foot on the line and so did the opponent before the referee would start the match. Turned out that's what they also do to bare knuckle. It was not go to your corner, go to your corner. But I remember this. I mean, this this was this was my uh, my debut. First impression. Okay. So now I get to beat one live. And I have always been so impressed with the level of production. It just looks right. It feels big. Okay. You knew something special was going to happen. And bad things can be special too, right? Don't get lost in that word. Special doesn't necessarily mean you're going to hit it out of the park. It could be a resounding failure. But something's going to happen. And it sure did. I mean, this card was just loaded up. So we get there. And where, where to begin on this is a little bit tricky. Because you want to know who is a massive star in the Spart, Ben Rothwell. 
You probably didn't think those words would be spoken. And Ben has always wanted to get through to you guys. He's always wanted to get over. He has genuinely wanted to give you the most exciting and entertaining match that he could. He reads your comments. He respects your opinion. You guys kind of decide, ah, standing and begging and big knockouts. But he hears that and then wants to give it to you. And then we kind of got into the entertainment era, and Ben was part of that too, so he started to get on board with the entertainment era. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. If you go back and you study Ben, you study his rise, he is not afraid to get in there and fight anybody. He wouldn't fight Cain Velasquez, who I personally believe is the most intimidating heavyweight fighter of all time. I think Cain Velasquez was more intimidating than George Foreman. That's up for debate, but that is what I think. Rothwell stepped right in there with him. Now, I'm just sharing for you, I believe he's going to be fighting for the championship against Alan Belcher. But one thing about Rothwell was the reception that this live crowd gave him. And I know that's important to Ben. I just know. I've watched his career very closely, and I know when he adapts his style, when he adapts the way that he speaks, the way that he walks, the way that he looks, he's doing it attempting to appeal and please the audience, and they were. And they had never been so loud and so receptive for Ben. It just had to be a good feeling. I mean, he had to enjoy that moment. It probably almost caught him off guard. Almost as though, this is what I've always wanted. And now I've got it. 8,000 people on their feet. Backing up his claim that he's the number one contender and should be next for Alan Belcher. It was a cool spot of the night. So... We're getting through this. You got to understand, by the time Big Ben hits the ring, there was already a knockout that was seven seconds long. Got knockout of the night, but seven-second knockout represents the second fastest knockout of bare knuckle history. So it's just one of these nights, right? Like, I mean, things are rocking and rolling here. The stars are coming out. Cowboy Cerrone is sitting in the front row. What's he doing there? I had to ask myself that question. What is he doing here? He's my friend. He knows I'm coming. He didn't text me to tell me that he's coming. I mean, not for nothing. What is Cowboy doing here? In the front row, well-placed. Oh, by the way, he's fought Mike Perry before. I mean, right? you start to wonder these things. And, and getting into these conspiracies and, and reading these, these tea leaves is very fun. It's a very fun part of the night. I get told by Cyrus Fees, Conor McGregor might be coming. Now, you got to understand, the event had already began. When I'm told Conor McGregor might be cut, the event is already going. And I looked at Cyrus, and I I can't remember if I said it to him or if I just thought it. Conor is not coming. That sounds like a spoof that a promoter would place with a trusted source in the media to collect a few extra pay-per-view buys at the last minute. That's what that sounds like. And I said to Cyrus, why would Conor be here? And that was a sincere question because Connor does have a loyalty to teammates. If he had somebody on the card and I didn't know about it, I, I wanted to know then. And Cyrus had told me, and I'm, I'm, I'm disclosing that Cyrus told me because we all kind of learned this together. I don't know if this is accurate or not. This is what I was told. That's why I'm disclosing it to you that way. Connor wanted to be there because he has a history with Mendez. He has a history with Alvarez. He felt attached to that fight. Okay, that could be true. I don't know. All I know is I didn't think he was coming. I have a show sheet. I have I have uh, the behind-the-scenes information that you're not going to get until it happens. Connor's name's not on it. Connor's name is nowhere on the show sheet. And you would think a director and the producer and the promoter would want 
a special ovation, a, 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 an establishing shot, an arrival shot, if you want. There, there would be something. Sure enough, Connor comes walking in, main car start. He comes walking in. That building goes nuts. They went nuts. They bring him in. They didn't have seats for him. Another reason I don't think that this was planned, it's very relevant. Connor McGregor and him being there is very relevant. The fact that they did not have seats, so they had to clear them. They, they, they had to work something with people. They, they had to have this section for Conor McGregor. The fact that he wasn't on the show sheet. I mean, I'm just sharing with you, like, there's some rumors going on that Conor's going to buy into Bare Knuckle. There's other rumors going on that Conor was paid a very lofty fee by Dave Feldman, and that was an appearance. I don't know if either one of those is true. What Conor is saying, and Conor can't keep a secret. He's got a huge team. Somebody's going to let it out. What Connor is saying is quite simply, I heard about this. I heard a little bit late. I jumped right on my plane. I came right out. I got here. You know, the show already started, but I'm here for the ones that I came to see. Let's go back. Right back, Rollins was on here. That's how Connor tells the story. Connor was never supposed to get in the ring. Perry was, had never said he was going to call for him. One time at a show sheet, nobody knew that Perry was going to win and have an ability to call anybody to come and face off. So I'm just sharing with you, I think it was organic. Maybe I'm a sucker. Maybe Feldman and Connor, and they, they, they worked something out, and he, he came up with the feet. Maybe. But he wasn't utilized in that role. And if you pay a guy to be there, and you believe a guy's going to be there, you, you're doing that to get something for it. You're going to tell the public. Feldman did not tell the public. When I say it, it was a cheap play by a promoter to try to get pay-per-view sales, that's not what, that's not what happened. There was a rumor that Connor was coming. It turned out to be true. I believe it. I don't think he was paid to be there. I don't think I don't think that was an appearance fee. And I'm not saying that he's buying into bare knuckle. I think Connor came out and he wanted to see the matches. I, th I think. I think it was a fan. Now, whether I'm right or I'm naive about that, Connor jumps in there. He does his face off with Perry. And Connor realizes that he's a guest, and he realizes that this is Perry's night, Perry's moment, Perry's the champion, Perry's main event, Perry's victory. He realizes these things, but he still has to be true to himself and the character to a degree while being polite and while acknowledging, hey, that was nice of you to bring me in. I like the spotlight too. I like to be on camera. I like to be on television too. You invited me and you put me in this role, so now I owe you something back. But at the same time, I owe... The character as well. So it was a very fine line that Connor had to walk. And it took him a little bit to get his thoughts together, right? He started with the praise. Hey, you look so good. Hey, this sport's for you. Hey, you got a great right hand. He started with the praise as he was, as he was getting it together. Then he realized he's got the belt. He can claim he's already the champion. Take two steps back. Come get the belt from him. It was just one of these great hot moments that is made for a meme. And overall, it was a it was just a special night. The schmo was there, by example, and the schmo was comparing it to Bonner versus Griffin Part One, and I understood that comparison. Is Bare Knuckle going to be here to stay? But what do you guys think? Where do we go from here? There's rumors that Connor and Connor should come over and fight here, and. Jake Paul and and, uh, and and Nate should fight there. Or more importantly, uh, uh, break up the Jake Paul and Nate and get Nate versus Connor, bare knuckle. I mean, these things will die down by tomorrow. That's the way the media cycle works. But if you did a good job and you had a hot weekend, you get to live on it for about 72 hours. And we're in the midst of that. Something special did, in fact, happen.
let's talk Perry. Let's talk Luke. Now, when this fight was announced, it was a mismatch. It really was. And Perry had done a really good job, but the buck stops at Luke Rockhold for a couple of reasons. Not just skill, not just experience. Size. Perry's not big enough to go with Luke. And then you get a little bit more of the story, which is, well, Perry does weigh 185, and Luke is going to come down to 185. And then you find out there's a rehydration clause the next day. I mean, all of a sudden, the belief that Luke's going to just be too big starts to shift a little bit in the public's mind. And moments before that fight happened, let's call it 15 minutes, very good guess. I go to DraftKings and guess what? Mike Perry was the favorite. That surprised me. That really surprised me. I knew people believed in Perry. Uh, Luke Ronkold himself said, Mike Perry is made for this. Mike Perry is a dog. But I have movements. I have strategies. Sure, he's done this and has experience, but there's two sides to that coin. The other side to that coin is I have been able to study him. He's never seen me do this. He hasn't been able to study. You know what? I thought Luke made a great point. And Luke Rockholt in combat, that's a hard night out. And that is just a really, really good fighter. I will share with you, Luke is known on his feet for his kicks. I mean, he can kick anybody while protecting his face. He can kick his six or seven different ways. Luke Rockholt on the ground is as effective and efficient as anyone that's ever gone to the ground. He literally is Khabib-esque, truly. He will pass and he will finish as many fights on the ground as anybody that you want to find. And those are the two things they took away from him. I actually got a text message from Anthony Smith. I stole those ideas that I just said. I got that from Anthony. He said, man, Luke is just such a good kicker. He said, Luke is just so great on the ground. I'm very surprised that he's giving up his two best weapons. This is right before the fight's happening. So my mind is racing, right? My mind's racing. I've talked to both of these guys. I know Luke thinks he can beat him. I know Perry's not scared. And I'm starting to feel it. Then when they go out there and they fight, I mean, I really do feel as though bad luck has followed Luke Rockholt. I, I really feel that way. And I go back just off the top of my head to the spinning kick he took from Vitor. Like, everything was going great, but everything was going great in the career of Luke Rockhold. He was coming up big wins over in Strike Force. It got folded in the UFC. He beat Jacare, which was an upset, right? This is all off the top of my head, but he runs into Vitor, he runs into the spinning back kick, and it rattled him. As an athlete, it rattled him. I remember talking to Luke. I passed him in a restaurant lobby. I had never visited him with uh, before besides hello, and I passed him in a restaurant lobby after he got back from fighting Vitor. And he just made a comment on it, but I, I just remember that. And I just knew that rattled him. And he picks himself up, he comes all the way back, comes all the way back to world championship. But if you go back and you watch this fight with, let's say, Yoel Romero, he's winning the fight until he's not. Or you go look at him going up to 205 pounds. Just to remind you, when he went up to 205 pounds, he was likely a win away from going into a world title fight. Luke Rockhold and Chris Weidman were on a race to see who could be the number one contender to stand opposite John Jones faster. That's what happens. A very exciting thing. We moved two world champions into this new weight class. I just share with you, we put him in there in a pretty favorable match with a guy from Poland named Jan Blachowicz. Well, it turns out, we didn't know it at the time, but it turns out that was the best light heavyweight in the world. And when I talk about the luck of Luke Rockholt, like there, there's just been things that have happened. Then he draws into a main event, Mike Perry, sold out arena, Conor McGregor sitting on the crowd, pay-per-view records for that industry. 
And he's fighting a damn good fight. He gets hit. Luke. <sighs> okay, you, you guys get the fight, right? Perry beat him. And so many people say that Perry's made for this. And Perry's a dog. But Luke did an interview when this was done. And nobody really knew what had happened to Luke. Luke pulled, Luke got big Dan Mergley out of the referee's attention. This is on TV. This is what you can see. Luke pulls his lip down. And then he, he gives a look like, I'm screwed. And big Dan doesn't waste any time, calls the fight off. So it instantly gets out. Luke lost a tooth. And I know that would suck. But in the world of being a fist fighter, the former world champion and future Hall of Famer, for him to stop because he lost a tooth was a surprise. And it took a little bit of time. But sure enough, we found, no, he's got a broken jaw, missed a couple of teeth. Now, his top two, right, this is a beautiful man, by the way. This is a very handsome man. His top teeth, one's broken, another one's loose. I mean, it was like six teeth in all, but it was also a broken jaw. And I just offer that to you in case it went off air and you didn't know that. Some of that information I gave you came from the internet. Just in case you didn't see that, Luke puts out a statement the next day. All bloody, all, his teeth all messed up. He cursed Mike Perry for being so damn tough. He said he was not done, he wasn't retiring, but some gloves would be nice. And it was just, <laughs> it was just great. It was great. Uh, guys put out statements all the time, but there's always an excuse built in. There's always something they'll set down. Hey, no, you know, no, 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 uh, no disrespect. And, uh, you know, of course, no excuses, but, uh, here's what happened. The camp just wasn't very good. They'll always, 100% of the time, they will do that. Luke did not. Luke's excuse for losing was that his opponent was so tough. It was great. It really was a great way to end that. And the irony with Luke Rockhold coming off the loss, Paulo Costa, and coming off this main event loss to Mike Perry, I don't think he's been in demand anymore. The demand for Luke Rockhold is more than ever. It's being reported that Luke got his biggest check for doing this fight. And I have to tell you, I don't think that's because that sport pays more or something along those lines. I think Luke was worth more. I loved what Luke did with Paulo Costa. I loved that heart and that grit. I loved that post-fight interview. I loved that he left it and he was chasing down Jake Paul and he ends up with Perry. And he, I mean, I just loved the whole thing. I felt like he was in high demand. He says he's not done. He says he's coming back. Whenever that time is and whatever that sport is, I'll be there. UFC 288 is sure to pack a punch with high stakes. The first matchup between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. Guys, who's going to secure the Bantamweight Championship? Place your bets right now at DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of UFC. New customers, you can make a $5 bet and you can score $150 in bonus bets and you can do it instantly. Plus, everyone can take the MMA action to the next level with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. That's where you can combine multiple bets for a shot at an even bigger payout. Let me give you guys an example. Who do you think's the favorite between Aljo and Cejudo? If you said Cejudo, you're right, but only barely. Listen, Aljo is negative 105. Henry Cejudo is negative 115. That is as close to even money as I remember seeing at DraftKings. I want you to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Do it right now, but use the code CHAIL. Now, you can bet just $5 on any UFC 288 fight. 
you will get $150 in bonus bets instantly this Saturday at DraftKings Sportsbook by using the code CHAIL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org in New York. Call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y to the number 467-369. In Kansas, call 800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 and over in most eligible states, but age does vary by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes. For offer details, see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Guys, I gotta tell you, I'm not a big planner. I'm more of a spontaneous guy that likes to do things last minute and that doesn't always work out great when I come across a fun event that I gotta buy tickets for. Luckily, the Game Time app is here to save the day. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. They have killer deals on last minute tickets with their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped up for all the fun you're gonna have. The Game Time app is really easy to navigate through. It doesn't have a bunch of extra graphics and pages to scroll through. Just search for the event and there you're gonna find the best tickets available. You can even see the view that your seats are gonna have and you can do it all from within the app, which is so helpful. Forget the pressure of planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event and their Game Time guarantee means that you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. That's a really generous offer by them. Guys, snag the tickets without the stress by using Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the promo code CHAIL. You're going to get $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use redeem code CHAIL for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Henry Cejudo versus Aljo. Henry kicks his ass, right? I mean, doesn't he? Aljo's a wrestler. He loves wrestling. He sees himself as a wrestler. He's very wrestling heavy. Henry's the Olympic champion at wrestling. Without even asking Aljo, that would mean at some point, far more likely than not, at some point in Aljo's life, he looked up to and admired Henry, right? Aljo got into fighting. He was a contender. He came right out of the gate, really straight. You guys remember Aljo's first fight? Oh, he looked great. I think it was his first three. Bang, bang, bang. Demand a new contract. Got a new contract. Henry was the champion of the world. Aljo must have, more likely than not, at some point in his life, looked up and admired Henry, right? Right? Isn't that how that works? Every single time? Isn't that how that works? What do you think the line is right now at DraftKings? Don't go look. Just, just get, what do you think the line is right now at DraftKings? And let me, and let me tell you this. Henry's due to come back. That might factor into your mind. 
the rest or, or you know being off since UFC 246. When was that? That was at the very beginning of the pandemic. When was the pandemic? Two years ago? Was it three? I don't think it was quite three. Was it two? I used to know these things so well. I swear to goodness, that pandemic threw, threw off my sensory to time. But it was the first event back in the pandemic, just so you remember, and Henry left. That might factor into who you, how you're going to answer my question when I ask you, who do you think the favorite is? Now, let's go to the other, uh, more on the same side of the coin, which is Aljo is in his backyard. And they're doing this on the East Coast. Henry's having to go to him. So, now that I've handed you that, I want to ask you again, who do you think is the favorite? And... I'll give you the answer. Over at DraftKings, it's minus 105. For Aljo, it's minus 115 for Henry. That would technically make Henry the favorite. That is as close to even money as I can remember seeing at DraftKings in a meaningful period of time. That is dead even. And if I was to, to attempt to explain why to you, it's pretty simple. Aljo turns out to be a lot better than we knew he was. When Aljo came in the sport, I talked about his first fight, how great he looked. I talked about his first three fights. I talked about him putting his foot down and getting a brand new shiny contract, being brought out to the UFC, put in the front row, smiley face, all charismatic. It turns out he's better than we knew. I will tell you what, he, he's got a position. You know, you talk about being on the ground, you talk about controlling a guy. He's better in that position than anybody I've ever seen. And that's a title that I used to give to Damian Maya who's very special there. I, I got to move Damien to two. I got to put Aljo at one. I mean, j just by example. And I don't know that I could do that with Henry. Henry's awesome. He's an Olympic champion. He's a world champion. He's a world champion. Wants, wants to go on and do another world championship. Henry's awesome. But I, I will share with you, I don't know anywhere within this sport that I can tell you Henry is the best within the sport. George St. Pierre had the best jab in MMA. By, by example. Khabib had the best pressure to a takedown when you were pushed up against the fence in MMA. Aljo is the best on top. I don't think I have somewhere that I can tell you Henry is the best in the entire sport. Does that matter to you? How likely is Aljo to get to that dominant position against the Olympic wrestling champion? You, you'd be very right to ask all of these questions. You'd be very right to wonder all of these things. How hard can Henry push for 25 minutes when he hasn't been in there versus Aljo, who's only been doing five-round fights? Does that matter to you? It always matters to me. But I, I, I also hear myself, and I feel that I make more of championship rounds than anybody else. I don't hear other people really factoring that into their decision, at least not to the extent that I do. And one thing about Henry Cejudo, as well as he's done at fighting, and as well as he's done at wrestling, when I talk about him behind his back, I don't say he's a great fighter. I didn't say he's a great wrestler. I say he's a great competitor. And I bring, I bring that specific word to you. Because when you do talk about championship rounds, you do talk about somebody getting fatigued. You do talk about how bad do you want it. You do talk about can you find a way. Your eye is swollen, your nose is broken, you're exhausted. Can you find a way or not? The great competitors can. And Henry goes into that category. He is a great competitor. He is going to have a plan. He already has it. He studies the sport. And one thing that will happen to you when you become a coach of a sport, whatever the sport is, but one thing that will happen is you will become better. 
You will understand the sport more as soon as you start explaining it to other people. So Henry gets into the gym. He's working with the John Joneses of the world. He's got the 25-pound champion. He's got the 15-pound female champion. I mean, he really exploded into this. And then just as a troll move, he started giving Conor McGregor advice as it had to do with distance. And I just share for you that has been a little bit of the secret to the success. Getting into coaching, having to explain something, making DVDs and making instructional videos and having to understand what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. It's different. It makes you better. I learned that. I was 18 years old coming out of high school. Chuck Kearney, University of Oregon, told me that. Hey, do some summer camps. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm signed up. I'm signed No, 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 no. Don't, don't sign. No. Lead some summer camps. Get into coach. Be a coach. Get a weekend together. Get a seminar. Start explaining this to the kids. You will be amazed how much better you get, how much your understanding will go up. And I just bring that to you. I think it's a very relevant part for Henry. History says the younger guy wins. That's Elja. History says the active guy has the advantage. That's Elja. History says home court advantage and the crowd on your side. That's Aljo. But DraftKings right now, ever close as it might be, says it's Henry. So if it is going to be Henry, guys, how's he do it? How do you see that he does it? Does he take Aljo down? Does he just flat out wrestle him? Going back to his roots when he was 20 years old, that's what he did when he got here. Takes him down, keeps him there, does that round after round. I think a lazy person would say yes. The problem with that is using history as your trajectory to the future. In what fight ever did you see Henry just go out and ground and pound somebody? Let alone somebody as skilled at wrestling as Aljo. It's a tough one. I, I, don't, I don't think he just goes and out wrestles him. Okay, does he outstrike him? That's a dangerous game, boy. Uh, a lot of guys play it. High risk comes high reward, but that's a dangerous game. A lot of guys play that and dominate and win and then eventually fall down. See Piera versus Adesanya a month ago for an example. So how is Henry going to do it? Is he going to push him? Is he going to frustrate him? Is he going to clinch him? Is he going to get him tired? It's a really, really tough match to call. And one of the most interesting things about it for me is how confident Henry Cejudo appears to be. And I say that to you because I am a guy that does not believe confidence helps. Uh, whenever I see a guy that is calm, he really believes it. Sometimes he'll even tell you, he'll cite like this, he read the secret and it's the laws of attraction and he believes that he can see it and he can achieve it. As soon as they start doing that, they've, they've lost touch with reality. Fear skepticism. Those are things that I've seen make people sharp. It's an interesting spot, right? It's an interesting spot. DraftKings are best in the business, and I feel like DraftKings hasn't made a decision here. I'm sitting here telling you that, that if you want to be a handicapper, you want to learn to speak the language, then you will acknowledge that Henry's a favorite, but come on. Minus 105 to minus 115 from the greatest gambling site out there. Guys, that is even money. Versus Blahal. I was over at DraftKings. Who do you think is going to win this one, guys? I'm going to tell you what they think. Because right now, Blahal is an underdog. 
Well, Hall is the underdog to burn. That, that might be the first time in a meaningful amount of time that I've seen any kind of respect shown to Gilbert. Okay, great. But does that surprise you? I mean, that's a really interesting one. Because before these guys were fighting, right, they were fighting in the media. They were fighting for opinions. They had both laid their case out because they were both potentially number one contenders. So they needed to get the argument and get the edge over one another. And boy, it was tight, wasn't it? <laughs> it was hard to see who was favored in that. Turn to the mandate of the masses, right? You, you make you guys the experts, the, the judge and the jury, the final say in it. It was tight, but now it's not. Gilbert has pulled away. That's official. You guys parted with your money. Gilbert has pulled away. Now let's take a look at how we got there because Masvidal weighed in on this. Masvidal has absolutely earned the right to an opinion within this division. He just got out of there with Gilbert. And Masvidal said, it was an interesting comment, I thought. Masvidal said, Gilbert Burns has the power, but Bahal Muhammad has the better boxing. Power burns skill. Bilal, that's a very interesting comment to me. I don't know that I would disagree. I think it's a very astute observation. I don't know if there's enough of a difference for it to matter. And historically speaking, the fundamentals and the basics, meaning the better boxer, the better, cleaner, crisper boxer, always has the advantage over the brawler, who in this case we're going to refer to as the power striker. But in MMA, I don't know if I... I don't, I don't know that that would be true. In boxing, it is. I don't know in MMA. I mean, you have that great equalizer when you have power. I trained with Dan Henderson, who had never put on a pair of gloves until he was almost 30 years old. And when he left the sport, he left one of the great strikers and great knockout artists ever. But he had this incredible equalizer. It was one shot, it was the same shot. It was one hand, it was the same hand. It was one setup, it was the same setup. But boy, did that level the playing field. I mean, it's one of those really interesting things. Now, when I talk about, let's how did we get here? Is it a good thing or a bad thing to be fighting three times in three months? And I, I believe the spread will actually be three and a half months. And I'm talking about Gilbert. But is that a good thing or a bad thing? I see that. I love it. I think it's good. I only had one resentment in my own personal time in the sport, but that was that we only got to do it three times a year. I didn't understand that. And that was tough. That was really tough conceptually for me. Three times a year. I was a wrestler. We did five, six, seven times a week. It was just tough for me. So I personally like it. But there is something, particularly with age, where you get to this tipping point where that recovery time is very important, and then peaking becomes more relevant. And in order to recover and peak, you got to it's, it's got to be mapped out, right? It's one of those things. Now, I think that Gilbert is still of the age and of the experience and of the tenacity that it's advantage. But there is something interesting about this contest, which is Blahal is the one that wanted it to be five rounds. That was a negotiating tactic. That was a demand made by Mohammed. And when two guys are getting ready to fight, every time, you don't see it because you don't know what to look for. I'm not trying to condescend. Every time, those two guys know who's going to win. 
And they'll tell you about confidence and you'll turn to you know, your wife sitting on the couch saying, oh, both of these guys, they believe in themselves. They absolutely believe in themselves. No, uh-uh, no, never. No. When two guys walk into the ring, they both know who's going to win. That, that's one of the things that you don't understand. That's a broad stroke. I, I, I will admit that. They always know who's going to win. When Mohammed demanded that he must have five rounds, me understanding that they already know who's going to win at least tells me Muhammad's going to win rounds four and five. He's going to win rounds four and five or he would have demanded that they exist. The fighters can be wrong, don't they? Surprise, a guy slips on a banana peel, the guy gets cut. I, I Please, I, I'm speaking broadly here. But okay, if, if he's going to win rounds four and five, which he truly believes he is, and it's not just talk. He, he believes he is because he demanded that they even are going to happen. Then he's only got to win one of the first three. So now we're not asking ourselves necessarily, can Blahal beat Gilbert? We're wondering, can Blahal win one round out of three? He gets three shots to win one round. Can he do it? Yeah, I, I would think so. Don't you? So now we got to come back to the other part, which is even though Blahal suggested the championship rounds, did Gilbert want them? And I got my little inner circle. I got my inner circle. We all go to DraftKings and we all got our accounts and we all saw that Blahal was the favorite and we got to call and text each other. I told you so. I, I But I've never seen Gilbert fade. I, I don't know who hatched the bright idea that the way to beat Gilbert Burns is to get him tired. He'll give up. What? What? Are you sure you're looking at the right Gilbert? Are you sure you're looking at the right Burns? I have never seen that. I have watched him grapple. I watched him grapple the iron-willed. I'm talking about Gilbert Burns. The iron-willed Jake Shields. Jake Shields is a black belt. Jake Shields is a black belt with six stripes at mental toughness. That's what he is. And it was a battle of wills, but Gilbert never backed down. He never wilted to Jake Shields, who, in my life, in my life, I've never seen somebody more consistently tough with a bigger will. That's the guy. And Gilbert matched him. I'm just suggesting for you these championship rounds, there's a little bit to be made of it. What do you make of Blahal? And I'm just asking you. Don't have an opinion on this. I'm asking, what do you make of Blahal being in Canada, wanting to have fries and gravy and ask Gilbert to spot him five pounds. Let's do the fight. Let's do it at 175. Saves you a five cut. Saves me a five cut. I would do that. As a matter of fact, I have done that before. I offered a guy $1,000 per pound that he would give me. So, I mean, I, I understand those things. Gilbert's like, hey, look, I want this to be a ranking. I want to take your contendership. I don't, I don't want them to say we didn't fight at the weight class. I'm a 70. You're a 70. We do it at 70. I respect that. Not only do I respect that, so did Blahal, because he said, okay. So it's a really interesting thing. I mean, if you were to come back to what I told you, that in every fight, both guys know who's going to win. If you were to come to that, so you leave the jab out of it, you leave the experience, you leave the wrestling, you leave the jujitsu, you just go to the mentality. Okay, I got I to gotta read these guys. I got two guys with a poker face. I need to find the tell. Between the two of them, who do they think is going to win? Both guys have shown us a little something, right? It's a big deal. Let's go 175. No, I want you suffering. I want you down. It's a big deal. 
It's a big deal. I won't do 15 with you, but I will do 25. It's a big deal. But who does it favor? And I'm asking you straight up. I want to see it in the comment section. If you were to read this, you got two poker players. They both had a tell. Huberman, I've drawn first blood, guys. I drew first blood. I, I, I told you guys, I have a massive problem with somebody trying to sell you products, trying to look smart. And that could be a book or that could be supplements. But doing it with information that just simply isn't true. And it always, it always turns into this really interesting game, right? It, it ends up in this real back and forth of what's scientific and what's provable and what's, and then you just go, where's your application? As simply as that, well, I got this dad, let me show you this sheet and this, and this study was done out at Stanford. Like this will never go away. You'll get somebody to make a ridiculous statement and tell you that they were told this by somebody who works in the Pentagon. That is a very common one. If you fall like the world of politics, that's a very common one. Or the person was within the CIA. Or their father is gone, but was in a room prior to his death with colonels and generals. And it's one of these things, right? There's 5,000 seats, 5,000 desks at the Pentagon, just so you understand. To act like a madman couldn't get one of those desks would be silly. And the same thing would go with the CIA. Like, when you try to attach those things, like, things can just get really weird really fast. You've, you either have proof that this has happened. You either have an example or you don't. When it comes to the world of nutrition, you will be told this, and you probably have, that eating a bowl of rice is the same as having a bowl of sugar. You've all been told that many, many times. I took a course in college where if I didn't check that box on the test, I would get the question wrong, and it, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's just silly. But they could break it down scientifically, and they could show you about the ins insulin and the glycogen, and they could show you what it does and how it transfers and how it gets stored, which is the exact same way that sugar does. They do that. But then you can point to extremely non-obese countries who embrace white rice as a natural and daily part of their diet and their stock. And, and they're completely stuck. And when you make them look like a fool, they will then want to talk about the husk or the process or the washing or something that went in with the rice to change. It's just silly. You're beat. You said something stupid and you got beat. And I don't take a great joy in doing this with Huberman. I don't have a choice because somebody that I respect, somebody that I go to for information, Derek, more plates, more dates, pushed out. Period. Derek knew what Huberman was telling him wasn't true. He knew it. He was smart enough and he knew it. But he was worried about going head-to-head -head because of the initials PhD and the University Stanford that Huberman attached himself to. In addition to that and moreover on a human level, Huberman was extremely polite to Derek. So Derek let it go. But Derek has a lot of people that turn to him, that listen to him, that believe in what he says. I happen to be one of them, but now it's tough now. I mean, th this was a real blow to watch Derek bitch out from confrontation just because the guy was polite and had a lab at Stanford 
and the initials PhD behind him. It was a really interesting thing. And it was really disappointing. When you have a guy like Huberman, very few people can actually test this. And I just happen to live in this world. I came from martial arts to explain to you in 1987 when I had my first ever practice, my first ever interest in martial arts, to explain to you what would work in the industry back then would now make you laugh. But we didn't know a guy can have secret moves and he can have secret techniques and he could kick you this way with his toe pointed out and he could touch you in the stomach. They used to tell us that we had green berets in this country that could kill you seven different ways with their thumbs. Those green berets, which I truly respect and appreciate, some of them believe it. It's easy to make somebody believe something if they never test the theory. And martial arts gyms used to do the same thing. This guy got secret techniques. You got to pay to have them. First guy that I ever met, very good friend of mine to this day, Sam Ayler, that was actually in karate. He was actually taking courses, would tell me what I'd ask. I'd beg him. Oh, I would beg him to show me something. I was so into fight. My parents wouldn't take me. I had to go to wrestling. Party. They wouldn't take me over to karate where I could actually learn how to fight. They wouldn't take me to kung fu and aikido, like the things that actually work. I'd beg him. He couldn't show me. He said, I can't show you. You can come with me. He invited me. He welcomed me. Could borrow one of his uniforms, I could go, but he can't show me. And he couldn't show me because the teacher was very clear, don't ever do these moves outside of here, no matter what. I will teach you self-defense and offense, but if it actually comes to that, do not use this. Do not defend yourself. You don't need to. You're too dangerous. These are too lethal. And he never showed me. We are in fourth grade at the time that that happened. Fast forward... To 1995 and just coming out of high school. Karate and Kung Fu and Aikido and martial all, all the things that I thought was real, because that's what Hollywood taught me, got so destroyed in actual application in the octagon that they told their students, stop watching, stop supporting. We could have actually won all of those matches. Our guys had the discipline to hold back because our techniques are too ruthless. And, and as much as you're starting to see like the cracks, right? You go, man, this is, this is a problem. They still did it. And people would still go to those gyms and they would stop watching and supporting. The marketing plan of mixed martial arts went up in smoke. They thought they were going to have all the martial arts gyms coming and caring and wanting to see and learning and adapting. That's not what happened. And I just share with you, when I see somebody like Huberman, right? I hope you understand what I'm saying. You could get away with that in martial arts because there was no application. There was no octagon. There was no pay-per-view. Nobody actually knew. So you could sell DVDs and covers and you could tell people, secret, don't show anybody. Don't even use this on anybody, but give me some money and I'll show you. So you at least have the confidence. You will at least know how to do it. That worked. That was a real thing. So when you have a guy like Huberman that's coming out with just, just nonsense, just absolute nonsense, he is scientific proof that fasting will up your testosterone, that more fasting will up your growth hormone. I'm quite frankly, I'm not positive that, but I'm close enough on these, right? Scientific proof your growth hormone could go up four times if you sauna. Scientific proof that if you will exercise and push yourself as though somebody is chasing you with a syringe 
full of poison, right? Like he's saying these things knowing that the group that he's saying it to is never going to do it and never has done it. Like this is never actually going to get tested. It's the karate teacher or the Aikido teacher that has an 80-year-old woman that could break your neck if she wanted to. But stay. I've told her not to do it. It's one of these things, like you can get away with it so long. Huberman comes out with this BS story and I find it. What's he going to do now? I was a wrestler. The absolute only craft on God's earth that they weigh you in before they let you do it. The only one. He forgot when he was telling these lies, he forgot, my God, there, there's actual people that do this. It's not a matter of you need to go fast. I don't think many people will do it. And if they do, I could tell them they did it wrong or they did it for eight hours. I could tell them what well, needs to be 12 hours. Like Whatever the plan was to buy himself some time. We have wrestling teams all over. We share this. I'm on I'm on threads and this is on forums. And we're all out of it. What a snake oil salesman, right? And, and there's guys like this and I have to get to it first. There was a place at Nike, which is right behind me. It was the Lance Armstrong building. And people were going around wearing these bracelets for Lance Armstrong. There were these yellow bracelets. I lived at the Olympic Training Center. Lance Armstrong's name was a four-letter word. All the athletes knew he was cheating. And he was profiting. And he was beating honest people. We all knew it. I even said this on the Jim Rome show. And they threatened me. Sponsors threatened Nike threatened me. Nike was one of my sweat. They threatened me. How could you say such things about this wonderful Lance? And it's just one of these really weird spots. So Huberman comes out with a BS story and doesn't think he's going to have a group of people that fasted. I grew up as a wrestler. And this isn't just me that can personalize. I've got hundreds of other focus points. Then he talks about you can do a sauna and you can double and triple your testosterone, your growth hormone. That is insane. I have taken endogenous growth hormone and endogenous testosterone, and I can't make it go up fourfold in that. And I saunaed, by the way, while fasting, after training extremely hard as though somebody was chasing me with a needle full of poison for years. This was a normal thing. The collegiate wrestlers worked very hard. Nobody will dispute that. The collegiate wrestlers had to fast. Nobody would dispute that. The collegiate wrestlers every single day, without exception, would sauna after practice. It was the best part. It was so hard and it was so grueling, but you get in that sauna. Now, it's hard. It's hard to breathe. It's hot in there. You get a little game going. Who's going to go out first? Then you kind of get your system down, where to sit, when, when to come down to the bottom row as opposed to exchange up here. And then it's story time. So when I tell you everybody did it, everybody did it. And when I left the University of Oregon and I went up to the Olympic Training Center, we did it there too. When I left the Olympic Training Center and I came back to Oregon to go into the pros, the American top team in Portland, we did it there too. Every day. Guys that are fasting, every day. Guys that are in a sauna, every day. And Huberman thought he could go out and tell these lies as though you're not going to find that disciplined person. I grew up with them. I grew up with them. I have hundreds upon hundreds of focus points. And believe me when I tell you, not one. When you're a guy like Huberman and you think you're going to come speak to the masses because you're a simpleton, right? He's just a simpleton. I mean, this come on. He's a very nice guy. He's a very sweet guy. He believes some of the things that, that he's saying. He, he's got other ways to make money. He's an educated guy. He believes it. But there's a reality. Whether he believes it or not, there's a reality. 
that he's wrong. And I've just given it to you in application. I don't have the charts. I don't have the blood. I don't need to. Any of you that got someone in the family or a classmate or that was a wrestler are going to look and go, my God, Chael's right. That guy did everything Huberman is promising you. If you do, you will double and triple your testosterone, your growth hormone. They're going, it's not true. Yeah, it's not true. It's ridiculous that he says it. But it is one of these situations where when he did it, he didn't think he was going to find that person. He thought it was going to be the masses. He thought it was going to be the little old lady in Iowa. He thought he could get attention. And it was tough. It was tough. Look, Rogan knows that stuff too. I'm not putting it on Rogan. Rogan knew that Huberman wasn't telling him the truth. Rogan, who was a martial artist and an athlete and surrounded himself in jujitsu gyms and with and sees this every day. People that are fasting, that work like somebody's chasing you with a needle. And that sauna. He knew, but it wasn't his job. So I'm not mad at you. It wasn't his job. Huberman was being a gentleman and Huberman truly did believe it. He did. I mean, Huberman's got a whole piece that I watched for eight minutes. If you procrastinate, you want to know how you can stop procrastinating? Would you like to know? Would you like me to tell you right now? You don't have to watch the eight painful minutes that he puts out. Would you like to know if you're tired during the day, how to fix that? Which is another painful eight minutes that is mistaught. Would you like to know? Because I can tell you in four seconds. Take your eyes and look up. Watch me. Are you ready? Look up. Now you got to hold that for 30 seconds. But there is psychological and neurological, right? And this is a big word that BS artists love to throw out. Neurological. There are some neurological studies that will show that if you look up and hold that for 30 seconds, you can't be tired. Try it. Try to fall asleep sometime while you're looking. I mean, it's one, it's just one of these things, right? And it's so silly to say, which by the way, it could work. I mean, you could go out and try that. You could go be tired, look up, and you're going to have a massive placebo effect because I've told you that. But you, you could go look up and hold it for 30 seconds and all of a sudden be ready to out and move. But could you imagine? Could you imagine that study actually being, there was a neurological study done at my labs in conjunction with this other lab on the campus of Stanford University. You guys remember this? We had this thing going around about the, the, the science of masks. Do you remember that? Mask science. I'm okay with that. I'm not one of the weirdest boy. I put them on and put them on my whole family. But think about that for just a second, okay? I will support my children through their years of education. And if that means college and that's the route they go, then old Chael's still going to be working and I'm going to cover that for him. When I'm covering it, whatever pain that means, more years of work, more investment, more sacrifice, refinance the house like so many do, whatever that means. If my kid comes home, we're having a nice family dinner. It's so good to see him again. He's in the science department. He's at a beautiful university that I'm paying for. And I ask him, what have you been up to? What is it you've been studying? He tells me that he was studying masks. Okay. That conversation has never happened in any household anywhere in this country. But when they needed a study, they came out to, well, the science of masks. Okay. There, there is no science on masks, just so you understand. There is no good science to tell you that if you look up, you'll stop procrastinating. There is nothing accurate about being in a sauna and your growth hormone quadrupling. There is nothing true that if you fast, your testosterone can go up. There is a lot of truth 
If you're trying to look a certain way or get in a certain shape, that if you go out and you work so so hard that it's as though somebody's chasing you, like right, I mean, that, that's just good sense. There's no science that's needed. There was no lab that was needed. Derek does not believe a word Huberman says. But Huberman was nice to Derek, and he pushed out. Rogan didn't believe a word Huberman said. But he made good conversation, and people clicked on it, so we had him back as a guest. That's just the truth. I give Rogan a pass. That's not his job. If Huberman came on with me, I, I don't know that I would be confrontational with him. I would talk to him and let him say his piece. If you have a guest, I would treat him like a guest. But to draw a distinction between Huberman and the Liver King isn't the world's easiest thing to do. I mean, I watched the Liver King a couple weeks ago because this was an experiment for me, okay? I told my partner, Ryan Parsons, look, I think he can get through it. And he told me, absolutely, he's a doctor, very smart guy, my partner. He said, chill, it can't be done. And Ryan has had to help a number of people. He used to be an MMA manager. He's had to repair images, Right? He's partners with me, so he's a bit of an expert in repairing an image when he needs to. He said, it can't be done for the liver king. He said, he came out and he told people a certain thing. He promised them, and it turned out he was lying. You can't come back. I said, you know, you could be right, but you don't get to win the argument today. I remember specifically what I told Ryan Parsons. I said, Ryan, you don't get to win today, but I don't either. We have to wait at least two months. And then look back. We have to look and see what happened. And what was so unique with the Liver King is while he was lying and while that whole thing was ridiculous, he did it in a silly and ridiculous manner. There's no reasonable guy that has a beard that's as disgusting as that or long, greasy hair that's as disgusting as that. There's no reasonable guy that is pulling plates through a wooded area before he builds his campsite on a bareback horse, there's no reasonable guy, that then has a camera crew with him. Do you understand that? He's telling you to live this ancestral way. He has a camera crew. And he's not bringing this to you by, by uh, sketching it out on a rock like they used to do, putting rocks in order to spell words and show directions of the sun. He's telling you on something called the internet. There's nothing prehistoric about this. It was a show. That wasn't his natural speaking voice. This was a show. He doesn't eat food raw. My God, he's got a wife and children. It'd be illegal to give it to the kids. And his old lady's not going to put up with that. He's telling you about this ancestral lifestyle and then telling you that he's got a his personal chef. I mean, in all fairness, it was never meant to be all that serious. I thought he could come back. And above everything, he apologized in character. Brian Johnson is his name. Brian Johnson did not apologize to you. The Liver King did. And I personally just thought that was fascinating and that was different. I told Ryan, we're going to have to wait a couple of months. Well, a couple of months have gone by. So I went yesterday to a Liver King page on TikTok, and he was sitting at a table, outdoor, sitting at a table, and he grabs an egg, and I thought there was a whole stack of eggs, and I thought it had been cooked. I, I thought it was a cooked egg. He puts it into his mouth, and I hear the crunch. It was the shell. It was a raw egg and a shell. 
which from what Mrs. Panicello told me, who was a, a beautiful and wonderful cooking teacher in 1993 at Westland High School, will give you salmonella, but this is why I'm sharing this with you. Like the fact that the liver king did steroids and said he did it, or said you could look like this if you just get the sun and you get outside, and you have, whatever his stupid stuff was, set all of that aside. This is disgusting and it's a dangerous diet that he's giving you. And if you wanted to do it, even if it meant to look like him, right? If I've got to eat raw eggs and I have a wife and children, we're eating together, I have my own chef and I'm putting raw food on the table, but that's what I have to do. I have to do that to have a six pack. I now no longer want the six pack. And if you do, you're a weirdo. This isn't Chael's opinion. If you're eating a raw egg for any reason, you're a weirdo. Just so you understand that. And, and please don't give me a silly example. What if the guy was starving to death? If the guy was starving to death, he did not get into a chicken coop and find the eggs that were raw. Bad example. If he went and shopped with them at the store, he would have taken a Snickers, which he could find up his sleeve, not a carton of, car of eggs. There is literally no reason, unless you're a weirdo, to eat a raw egg. And that was my bigger problem. And as I'm having a problem as I'm observing this, Mark Coleman comes to his aid. Mark the Hammer Coleman is back in the gym. He's working out. He's claiming to be sober. I, nobody likes a quitter. You know, he's claiming he's sober. Said sober is cool. I have never tasted alcohol. I'm what you would call a square. And take it from me, it's not cool. It's responsible. It's ethical. It allows for productivity. Your day doesn't have to end at 6 o'clock. You can work into the night and make a hell of a lot more money if you stay sober. But it's not cool. The whole thing is weird. And now Coleman wants to come back and he wants to slap fight Tim Sylvia. In fact, he's already accepted the match. And the company that was going to put out the, has put out the press release. And Tim Sylvia came over the top of it and said, I promise you all that will not happen. Meaning I'm not going to do that. And I don't tease the hammer. I love that he's back in shape. I love that it's cool. Mark, Hammond's, Mark Coleman is an absolutely wonderful guy. But Mark Coleman is a champion of the world. And not only was he the world champion who went into the Hall of Fame, he trained a world champion named Kevin Randleman who went into the Hall of Fame. Mark Coleman doesn't have to carry the jock of a fake natty around. It's weird. He thinks the liver king every single day. He's thinking the liver king. For what? What did he do? And don't be like him, Hammer. If you're sober and you're in the gym, boy, you've got my respect, but call me. Don't be like, don't think if you get some sunshine that your life's going to get, but don't think if you're eating raw eggs that your life is getting better. Don't think if you're eating bone marrow and this raw meat that your life's getting better. It would make you a weirdo. Hammer's not a weirdo. Hammer's a great guy. But when you hear the distinctions between the Liver King and, and this Huberman guy, they are very close. One of them is a lot more down-to-earth and basic. One of them is a lot more scientific with a white lab coat and talking about the PhD and dropping Stanford. Every single chance he gets, he drops Stanford. I get, I get the credibility of Stanford. Believe me, I, I, I understand these things. They're both dishonest. And in a best-case scenario, you have people that are just wrong. But when you're a PhD, it's completely different. You now don't get to put out a hypothesis. You have to put out things that are proven, proven studies. And Huberman doesn't have one person that fasted, and I do mean not one, who's testosterone quadruple. He doesn't have one person that saunaed, and their growth hormone, known as your IGF-1 track, quadruple. It's dishonest. Period.
All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you to my sponsors, and I hope that you'll all come back on Friday because I'm going to give you my official predictions for Sterling versus Cejudo as well as Burns versus Law. Enjoy the week, guys. Until Friday, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.